0: Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage from the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I've titled this evening's message, The Right Response to the Word of God, The Right Response to the Word of God, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 here in Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah 8 verses 1 through 12, The Right Response to the Word of God. Understanding God's Word should never be optional. Understanding God's Word is so crucial for us, especially as believers, to know how to be living. If we want to live our lives in a way, as we spoke about this morning, that we are designed to live, we have to understand how to do it. And the only way we can understand is to understand God's word, his revelation to man. How can we understand God's word, though? What is God trying to tell us? How is God speaking to us? He's trying to speak to us the exact same way that he was speaking to the very same people in the passage that we'll be looking at here this evening. You might think that if the preacher is doing his job, then everything is covered on your end, right? Right? I hope you don't think that. I hope you don't think that that is the extent as far as your level of understanding for God and his word. Now, don't get me wrong, preaching the right message, even using the right method as far as preaching is concerned is absolutely important, but it's not just the preacher's responsibility for you to be doing all that you need to be doing. If the only thing it took was having the right preacher, preaching the right message, everybody that listened to Jesus would have not only been saved, but walking the perfect life. But that wasn't the case, was it? It not only takes the right message, it not only takes the, the right method to understand God's Word, it takes the right response to God's Word as well. I've shared with you in the past, that especially when I was younger, I didn't always have the right response to the teaching of God's Word. My father was my pastor growing up, and I was always physically present in church. But physical presence doesn't mean that I was mentally checked in. I didn't always have the right response to the teaching. I was awake during the duration of the service, but often my mind would wander onto something else. And It doesn't matter how good the message of God's word is. It doesn't matter even how clearly, how concisely, how effectively it is brought forth. If you're not having the proper response to God's word, you'll not understand just how sufficient God's word is for the issues of life you're going to face. So tonight we're going to look at, and don't panic with me, it's a short message, but seven ways that people respond to the preaching and the teaching of God's word, the right ways to respond to the teaching and preaching of God's word. So Nehemiah chapter 8, bear with me, I'm going to read through the first 12 verses here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah and Uriah and Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Acab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tersitha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Seven things that we're going to see this evening. Seven ways that people can rightly respond to God's word. And first, the example is set forth that when God's word is preached, number one, we're to respond in unity. We're to respond in unity. If we want to understand God's word, we have to all gather in unity. All the people, the Bible says, gathered for the teaching. Not just part of them, not just occasionally. They all gathered. And notice how it says of them in verse number one. Again, it says, And all the people gathered themselves together. It says, As one man. As one man. They gathered as one man. What does that mean? It means that they gathered in unity. They left all their differences behind. They came together to collectively hear the word of God. Were they all equally as spiritual as each other? Of course not. But they were all part of one man, the Bible says, who came to hear the preaching of God's word. They didn't bring their differences with them. They didn't bring their disagreements with them. Differences, disagreements were all laid aside for the sake of gathering together to hear the word and the preaching of God's word. All the men, it says, all the women and all the children who were old enough to understand. Divisions of age and sex and social class, all of these were laid aside just like they should be laid aside for us. Everyone must be welcome and encouraged to sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And if someone comes in here to listen to the preaching of God's word, we must gather with them as the Bible says, as one man. No matter what they look like, no matter what their background is, no matter what side of the tracks they come from, no matter if we know them or not, no matter if they have a lifestyle that is an abomination or not. Now, I'm not talking about membership here, but as far as hearing and, and he, hearing the teaching of God's word, they should be welcome because they need the word of God more than any of us. And when we hear God's word preached correctly, we are to respond in unity. But notice, second, we're to respond with eagerness. We're to respond with eagerness. When you come to church, what is it that you're looking for? What are you looking for? And I'll tell you what these people were looking for here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 1 says that the people all gathered together. They told Ezra to bring out the book. Notice what it says again in verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded, to Israel. How many times do we come together and do we want anything else but the word of God brought out. Bring out some good singing. Bring out some emotional and motivational speaking. Bring out some good fellowship. Bring out activities. We're Baptists. Bring out the good food, right? Just not the Bible. We don't need that. But that's what the people asked for here in Nehemiah chapter 8. They spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded, to Israel. Now, this had been in the works for a while. They were eager to hear God's word preached because the next verse tells us, the next two verses tell us that they actually built a pulpit. Uh, Verse four tells us for Ezra to come and to stand upon as he preached. So this has been in the work for a while. They built him a platform. Notice what it says in verse number four. It says, and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. So they came and they all gathered together as one man. They were eager in this because they went and they begged for Ezra the scribe to come and to preach this message from God's word. And they had been so in preparation for it that they had a pulpit made for him specifically for this use and for this purpose. They built this. The site was prepared. The area was cleared. They gathered together and called Ezra to come and to deliver the message from God. And when he got there, they didn't ask that he would entertain them. They didn't ask that he would tell them some cute stories. They didn't ask them to give them 10 ways to make their lives better and easier. They asked him to bring out the book of the law of Moses and explain it to them. And why did they so eagerly do that? Well, because they were eager to meet God. And they knew that the way to meet God is to meet him in his word. Are we eager to meet God the same way? Now, if we are, and we should be, then we need to quit trying to meet God in some sort of ecstatic and and mystical way. Meet him in the way that God's designed to be met. Meet him in his word. Eagerly prepare. Eagerly gather to hear God's word preached. How eager, though, are we to come together and to hear God's word preached? Now, you can answer that by how eagerly you prepare. What would have happened if the, people who, if the people would have called Ezra to open the book of the law of Moses to them, but they hadn't prepared a place for him to stand and preach from? Well, their eagerness would have been proven somewhat weak. We have a platform. We have a, a pulpit. We have a building for which we can come and gather in. So what can you do? You don't need to go and build all this stuff to to demonstrate how eager you are to hear the word of God preached. So what can we do today to eagerly prepare? Now, Now, here's something good. Read the Bible ahead of time. Read the Bible ahead of time. Ask God to prepare your heart and prepare your mind before you even come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Wednesday night. Pray that God would speak to you through the sermon. Before you even come into this building, pray that God would use it to speak to you and to show you something that you need today. Ask God to give you clarity as to how you should be responding to whatever message that God is going to deliver through the preacher. Be eager in your approach when you come to church, whenever you enter this building. That way you'll expect to get something from God when you come here. Otherwise, all you're expecting is to have something dumped in your lap. And I've found that anytime something gets dumped in my lap, it just rolls off the moment I stand up. It's gone. It's forgotten about. If you want to understand God's Word, you need to respond with eagerness. Be coming in unity. Respond in eagerness. Third, we need to respond with endurance. We need to respond with endurance. Some of my favorite preachers to listen to on the radio preach long sermons. Some of you think, look in the mirror. One commentator said that it's almost impossible to preach an expository sermon in less than 45 minutes. An expository preaching is what we actually see happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8, especially with what we see in in verse number 8. This is one of my my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it breaks down what preaching should do. It says in verse number 8 of Nehemiah 8, it says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. God's word is brought forth. It says, and distinctly, not just, you know, it's reading as quickly as you can, but reading in such a way that people can hear it and understand it. And it says, and they gave the sense, they explained it and caused them to understand the reading. A threefold message as to what the preaching of the word of God should do. Every preacher, anyone who teaches, should have this idea and have this model in their minds whenever they're standing in front of a group of people, no matter the size, when they're teaching and bringing forth God's word, this is what it should look like. This is how it should be done. Read in the book of the law of God distinctly. Give the sense and cause them to understand the reading. Anytime that this is done, this is what we refer to as expository preaching. So one commentator said you can't really preach an expository sermon in less than 45 minutes. That same commentator also said that for some people, a 15-minute sermon is far too long because a lot of these preachers don't have anything good to say in the first place. It's almost impossible, though, to do what verse 8 here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is telling us and instructing in anything less than a 30-minute message. And to most of us, 30 to 45 minutes seems long enough to have to sit through a sermon. But when I look back through history, I wonder when that attitude came about. When we're constantly looking at the clock, when we're constantly looking at our watch and wondering, when is he going to drag on? When is he going to end with this? He keeps dragging on and seven points? Come on, we have lunch reservations and dinner reservations to get to. Can't we get through this a little bit quicker? When did this attitude come about? When you see some of the, the great revival sermons of the first and even the second Great Awakening, they were long. You thought, I'm long-winded? You haven't seen anything. These messages, these sermons went on and on and on, well over an hour, just the preaching portion. And you know, some of these guys were so monotone, they had no hand gestures, so you know, you're welcome with all of this but they were just so boring and dull to just sit and listen to because some of them literally had a, a manuscript message and they just read from it. And it, nothing to, against that. They had an incredible message. Content was just unbelievably filled and rich with God's word. But even with as dull and boring as we might view it today, They were sitting on the edge of their seats listening to it. And you know what? They didn't have comfy chairs like you have today or pews that were cushioned in any sort of capacity. They didn't even have air conditioning during the summer months. Or maybe they had heat, but it wasn't quite as what we have today. And it would go on for hours. They might cover 20 points. And as long as some of the messages were, these churches that the people would gather in, again, didn't have the modern luxuries that we have today. And many of these preachers, again, were not the most eloquent, were not the most, you know, entertaining or captivating to keep attention as well as what we're looking for in a service today. And you know, no one cared. No one complained. Church wasn't just convenient. Church was life. So the people came regardless of how long the message was last week. And they sat and attentively listened to the message. Can you imagine that? The mentality has so shifted today that before people can even commit to coming to church, let alone paying attention once they're here, they need to know that it's worth their time, that it's worth their effort to even show up. And now imagine the scene in our passage here in Nehemiah chapter 8. These people prepared eagerly for the service by building a platform upon which Ezra could stand and preach. But notice what they didn't build. Look at verse 4 again. Again, it tells us just one thing that they did. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. That's all they made. What they didn't make is they, they didn't build any chairs. They didn't build any pews. They put together no comforts and no conveniences for themselves. They gathered together and practically begged Ezra to bring them God's word. And he did. And he read to them from the first five books of the Bible. He read to them, the Bible says, from morning until midday. Look at what it says there in verse number three. It says, He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. He read from morning until midday and verse five tells us that the people stood up the entire time. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up. All the people stood up. And maybe you'd have to stand up in order to not fall asleep once you get to the book of Leviticus. But sometimes it takes endurance to sit through the preaching of God's word. Preaching can't be done in brief little sound bites. It takes time to expositionally preach a passage of scripture. It takes time, as verse number eight says, to read the book of God distinctly. It takes time to give the sense of the passage. It takes time to cause understanding to happen in the minds of the individuals. And all of that takes all of that time takes a certain amount of endurance. If you want to truly understand God's word, you'll respond with uh, you respond to its teachings with endurance number four we're to respond with attentiveness we're to respond with attentiveness look again at verse number three it says and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and notice what it says here at the end and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law The people had ears only for God's word. They weren't going to be distracted by anything else. People have asked me if I get distracted when when, when babies cry in the middle of the service, uh, when when people move around in the service, when cell phones go off. Most of the time, it doesn't bother me. I've gotten used to things like that happening, and I just kind of power through. I'm usually just wrapped up in, in preaching to not even notice at times. But I'll tell you what does distract me when everyone else notices. As I'm preaching and I'm sharing God's word, I I may drown out the sound of a cell phone going off, but what is distracting for me is when I see every eye turned in one direction to hear and to find out whose cell phone is going off. I don't say this to complain, but I say to point out how easy it is to get distracted. And sometimes it's, it's nothing that we can even control. A lot of times we'll get distracted by, by small things. Uh, do you know, Brother Dave, out in the sound booth, there are you know, 99 out of 100 times, the issue that we have with the projector is not his fault. Do you all know that? What's the first thing that you all do when the screen goes blank? Right, everyone turns back. He must have done something, right? Dave, how many times has it been you that a problem has is- been your fault. Right? I said 99 out of 100 because you know I know you're not perfect but you know maybe your your foot glanced a wire and and set something off. But we allow these little distractions to distract us. And honestly, none of the things really distract me. But when you allow them to distract you, that's when it gets to be an issue. So again, I'm not saying this to complain, but to show how easy it is for us to get distracted. So what can we do to overcome such things? I think that we can do is, what we can do is to try and improve our focus try and improve your attentiveness. We can improve our attentiveness by actually participating, by actually getting involved in the service. And look how the people here responded and participated in this passage. It says, first of all, in verse number five, that they stood up. They lifted up their hands. It says they shouted amen. And all of this is happening at the appropriate time. They're not just going berserk and bonkers and and just, you know, acting like it's a rock concert here and just throwing up their hands and jumping up and down and shouting at all crazy times. But they're responding appropriately to the preaching of the Word of God. Now, are are we going to do all of that? Probably not. And I'm not certainly advocating that we do all these things because that would probably just add to or the distractions that we have. But here's what you can do to help your attentiveness by participating. The first thing you can do is to bring your Bible when you come to church. Bring your Bible, but don't just have it there next to you. Open it up. Follow along. Keep it open in your lap. If you have a study Bible, you can follow along and check the notes at the bottom of the page and see if they say anything different from what I'm saying. And if they do, you can cross them out and put my notes in there. No, I'm kidding. But you you can take notes. If you don't have a study Bible, you take notes. That was always something that helped me. I've got several notebooks in my office of preaching that I've sat under and just ferociously written down notes as quickly as I could and sometimes they're hard to read because I was writing so fast but take notes and when you're doing things like this it helps drown out all the distractions that are happening around you you won't hear the the cell phone going off you won't hear the baby crying you won't know that the projector went off or even if the lights go off you'll still be so tuned with the word of God as long as it's still being preached to focus in on what God is telling you specifically during that time write down things Write down cross-reference passages that I might bring up. Occasionally, an amen doesn't hurt as well. If anything, shouting amen at times may even wake up the person who's asleep next to you. Uh, but just work on being more attentive when you respond to the word of God. Number five, respond to the word of God with humility. Respond to the word of God with humility. Now, the, people, uh, the people's humility here is shown in, in really three ways. And first, it was shown by them seeing their need. They knew what they didn't know, if that makes sense. Now, that's hard for us sometimes, especially when we've been in church for a long time. It's easy to get to the point where we think we've got everything all figured out, that there's nothing new that we can be taught. I actually had a person say to me, and not just because it was me, but he said the reason they don't come to church is that I can't teach them anything that they already don't know. That's not very humble, is it? Besides, it's not about what I can teach them. It's about what God's word can teach them in the setting that he's designed through the weak and even the broken vessel that he's chosen to call to bring his message. It doesn't matter who it is that stands before you and, and preaches and brings God's word forth. If God's word is being brought forth, we need to respond with our ears being attentive. Responding with humility means seeing your need, but it also means showing reverence to God. In verse number five, when Ezra opened God's word, it says all the people stood up and they did this as a sign of reverence. Years ago, men used to stand up when a a lady walked into the room. Now people don't even stand up when the president walks into the room. We're losing the ability to show respect to others because I think we don't have the same humility. Humility before God shows respect to God's house. It shows respect to God's word. It shows respect to the teaching of of God's word. The third way the remnant showed humility, we see it in verse number six. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were free in their worship and bowed their heads and knelt before the greatness of God. When they were moved by God's word, if they were moved to praise, they praised without worrying what other people might think. If they were moved to brokenness, they were broken before the Lord without worrying what other people might think. They responded with humility to the word of God. If you want to understand God's word, that's how you'll respond as well. You're going to humbly realize that you don't actually know everything there is to know. You're going to humbly show reverence to God's message and to God's method, and you're going to humbly respond in a way that God wants you to respond, not how you think others want you to respond. Understanding God's word takes the right response. It calls for you to respond in unity. It calls for us to respond with eagerness. It calls for us to respond with endurance. It calls for us to respond with attentiveness. It calls for us to respond with humility. And there are two more ways that we have to respond to God's word if we truly want to understand God's word. We have to be broken by God's word, and we have to be joyful in God's word. Verse number 9 says that the people wept. When they heard the words of the law. It says, And when Nehemiah, which is the Tersitha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why was that? Why do you think that was? Well, because when we respond in all of the other ways to the preaching of God's word, which they did here, we're going to be convicted the Holy Spirit will show up and his job is to convict of sin and to show us God's righteousness. He will show us our sin and when we're, when we're responding to God and his word the right way, we're going to hate our sin the same way that Christ hates our sin. And that's where these people found themselves at this moment. When was the last time that you found yourself so convicted of sin that you were actually weeping while you were in church? Maybe the reason is that you're not responding to the preaching of God's word the way you need to be. I'm not saying that you should all be leaving this building on Sunday morning and Sunday evening just bawling your eyes out. And that's not even what the text is telling us. But there should be a recognition of who God is and who we are and what areas in our lives need to change because of who he is and what he's called us to do. With the recognition of the badness of our sin, though, also comes the understanding of the goodness of our Savior. And in verse number 11, the teachers that were there, the Levites, it says, who were there... uh, teaching and instructing the people, moving the people from weeping over their sin to the holiness of the day. Notice what it says in verse number 11. It says, So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. The last verse of chapter 7. It tells us that the time of their gathering was the seventh month. And according to the book of the law that Ezra was just preaching from, the seventh month was to be a celebration of the sacrifice of atonement. It was the sacrifice that symbolically paid the price for all their sins. One day on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and make an offering to God on behalf of the sins of the entire nation. Once a year, this would be done. And it was in the seventh month that this was done, and it was that time that these people were gathering together and pleading for Ezra to come and to preach the entire law of God to them. You see, when we truly understand God's word, our response, I think, will be twofold. We will weep over our sins as God intends us on doing, But as we weep over our sins, our joy will be made full in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Because it's then and only then that we will see how wonderful our Savior really is. And when we truly see how wonderful our Savior really is, then we'll do what these people did. We'll leave as they did. And notice what it says in verse number 12. It says, And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared Unto them, They didn't leave weeping anymore. They went and celebrated and rejoiced over all they understood about who God is and what he had done for them. We will leave the same way when we come to church and respond to the word of God the right way. We'll leave to our homes and to our neighborhoods with the good news of Jesus Christ on our lips. We'll have a celebration in our hearts. We'll have praise on our lips, and the world will see... What a great and glorious Christ we serve. We'll shed tears here and there, of course, but we will send portions and it makes such joy and rejoicing out everywhere else. People will be saved as we proclaim the message that Jesus Christ has come, offering freedom from sin, offering salvation to all who believe on him, all because we understood the words that were declared unto us. This message may have been what took place many years ago, there in Jerusalem as the temple was rebuilt and the wall around Jerusalem was being rebuilt. But praise the Lord that the application is still true for us today. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly and they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I pray that we would have a right response to God's word every time that it goes forth. May we uh, bow in prayer here this evening as we thank the Lord for all he's done and for the revelation that he has given to us in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we recognize that it is only because of you that we have hope, that we have assurance of salvation, Lord, that we have such joy in our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing it to us, Lord, that that we may learn from it and understand it. And I pray that, Lord, every time your word goes forth from this pulpit, that it would go forth distinctly, that we would cause everyone to understand it, to make sense of it. Lord, that they leave here with an understanding of what you have revealed and how we need to live our lives. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to have the right response to your word every time it goes forth. Lord, that at the end of the day, even if there is weeping because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit of our sin, Lord, we would understand that as things are changed in our lives to get our lives back on track with you, that there is so much rejoicing in our lives as well as we consider, Lord, the greatness of who you are and the everlasting joy we have as a result of being a child of yours. We love you, and Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.